This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, Steeler Nation, and welcome to your SteelerNation.com podcast. I'm your host, G Stryker, and with me again from DK Pittsburgh Sports, we're happy to have Hunter Homestack. How you doing, Hunter? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me back. I guess I didn't blow it too badly last time that you invited me back, so that means a lot to me. <laughs> you, you you passed the cut. So, and the problem with our last <laughs> conversation, we were it was supposed to be draft talk. We were going to talk about the Steelers, and then we were going to get into the AFC North, but we got so interested in talking about the Steelers and so excited about talking about the Steelers that we couldn't even touch the AFC North because we were already about an hour and 15 minutes into the podcast podcast at that point so might as well make it a new podcast (laughs) (laughs) nothing wrong with that not at all not at all so what we're looking at today is specifically how the rest of the division looked and I think we should start off with the Baltimore Ravens now I did a metric with uh, Matt Papiernik and CJ uh, Lester from uh, SteelerNation.com, they did a top 115, which was each of their top 100, and they had 15 that they didn't agree on being in, in the top 100, so it made it a top 115. And I used this to, to track all the drafts, see where everybody was pulling, and for the most part, the entire league, I mean, I think the best team for the top 100 that we had select was Miami. They selected seven players in the top 100 for our top 115. So that's a really good, um, you know, for a team drafting first in the draft, for them to get a lot of talent is, you know, what you want to achieve. Uh, Minnesota was the same way. They drafted six uh, players of our top 115. Um, And then the next highest one was the uh, Baltimore Ravens uh, tied with five. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, and, and, um, with a couple other teams, one being um, Cincy, Cleveland had four. Uh, when we're getting to the top 50, Baltimore Ravens were up there with four teams in our top 50. They had three players in our top 50. Four, if you counted the top 51, because they had the 51st player also in our draft. So they got a lot of talent drafting later and drafting, um, you know, out of a playoff spot. I mean, they're in the top or the bottom eight picks that they're drafting from so that was funny I, I heard I thought you were tracking somebody with your with your bloodhounds there for a second yeah Babs that's my German shepherd Babs she can't help herself she's the guardian of the house if nice. somebody walks past the house she gotta let them know what's up so I'm sorry about that oh not not a problem but like I was saying the Ravens killed it they there was only four teams on our metric that got in the top that got three top 50 players and that was Baltimore, Dallas, the Jets and Jacksonville. And if you count 51, if you go to 51 players in our metric, Baltimore is the leader with four players. So we'll start going down and talking about the Baltimore players that were drafted. Then first one being an incredibly athletic, fast, fast, fast uh, linebacker out of LSU being Patrick queen. Did you get to see him play at all in college? I did a little bit, and I saw a lot of Steelers fans are going to hate this. Mm-hmm. Ryan Shazier yeah. in his game. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. had to pause so they, so they could gather themselves. But uh, that's definitely who reminds me of. You watch the tape on this guy, sideline to sideline. Once he recognizes the play, he, he takes off like a missile to wrap it up. I'm sure that's going to get him in trouble early on in his career, just like it did for Shazier. I mean, I'm sure – Steelers fans remember he had moments as a rookie and he had moments early on where you could see exactly that potential. It also led to a lot of mistakes. So 
I'm sure Patrick Queen's going to have that same kind of learning curve. But I know for a fact that Steeler Nation, when the Ravens were on the clock, was hoping that they would not take that guy because that is kind of something that the Ravens have been missing. Yeah, I mean, you go 14-2 and two last year, you can't say the team had a lot of holes. Yeah. But they definitely struggled in, in that second level of the defense in the middle of the field. Their middle linebackers were a problem after they lost Mosley. They didn't really ever replace him until now. So that was by far their biggest need in my eyes going in. And to address it with a player like Queen who can not only handle that, but also do so much more. You know, we're talking about a guy who might not just be good and adequate replacement, but an upgrade over an already great player in Mosley. You know, I don't know that Queen's going to be as good against the run, mm. but We'll get to that in a second with their other inside linebacker they took yeah. to uh, kind of handle that. But uh, <laughs> but Queen, uh, I mean, we talked about it a lot last week too about this new this new need for a hybrid linebacker safety kind of guy in the NFL who has the speed of a safety but a little more size as a linebacker and can play in the box and also do some coverage and yeah. all all just do it all. And that's exactly who they got with Patrick Queen and and they got. After Isaiah Simmons, they got the best guy in the draft at that. So mm. to go 14-2, and two, and I, lo- I love that you mentioned that as well in, in your little intro. Mm. The Ravens absolutely crushed the draft, and to do it after going 14-2 and two yeah. is a problem. Yeah. That, that's a problem for the rest of the AFC North. So the Ravens by far came out the most ahead for me in the draft as a whole, and it definitely – set the tone with Patrick Queen. That that was the perfect pick at the time in my eyes. Yeah, and then they followed it up in the second round, taking a running back that all of Steeler Nation knew about and were hoping would fall to them in J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State. I mean, Steelers also love Ohio State players. I know you were mm-hmm. really following this pick as well, being a Steeler fan and being up on you know the players the Steelers possibly would be targeting in this area. He ends up going to the Ravens. What kind of player do you see in J.K. Dobbins? I mean, he's a great running back. I think he projects well at the NFL level as well. His game should translate well. He's got the speed. He's got the shiftiness. Mm-hmm. I think... He put a lot of people – I won't say he put them on edge or turned them off, but a lot of people saw this guy as a first-round pick. You know, when, when the mocks first started coming, coming out, everybody thought the Steelers would have no shot at Dobbins at 49. Yeah. And then as we got closer to the draft, the mocks started – you know, occasionally he would be there in mocks. Like once in a blue moon, you'd be able to get him in a mock draft simulator. Yeah. But overall, he was a guy who most people felt would not be available to the Steelers. So when he was available and that seemed like a slam dunk and they didn't take him, Mm -hmm. that really made me go back and be like, what, what didn't they like? What didn't they see? And just for me personally, I actually was not among those who thought the Steelers should take a running back at 49. I liked them taking a running back later as they did. So for me personally, I loved the way they played that. Yeah. But Dobbins, I think by sitting out at the combine, he sat out the drills at the combine. He may have bench pressed or something, but he didn't do anything that you really want to see from a running back. Mm. And then he obviously didn't have a pro day either because of the coronavirus canceling that. I don't know if that scared some people away, mm. especially because he looks fast on tape. Mm. But you look at a lot of the Ohio State players look fast on tape and they didn't run very well this year at the combine. So I don't know if people were thinking, oh, is Ohio State, you know, is the tape a little deceiving was the competition not there was something missing from the tape and Dobbins here's one thing that I don't see mentioned a whole lot with Dobbins is that um, everybody sees McFarland as the Steelers running back they took as this small Dre Archer you know little tiny running back not at all you know (laughs) no he's he's not not. yeah He's the same size as J.K. Dobbins. Dobbins yep. is 5'9", 209. He's yep. not a big running back by any means. And actually, McFarland's arms are a little longer. I think Dobbins has bigger hands, if you care about that, for yeah. receiving the ball. So, so I, I mean, Dobbins is not this big, you know, once-in-a-lifetime running back that I think Steelers fans had built him up to be. I think he'll be good, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's going to see a lot of action for the Ravens right away either. I think they still got plenty of juice out of Ingram, and obviously Lamar Jackson's going to keep running the ball. So just by that, you're not going to have a ton of touches to go around. Now, is he going to be a great change of pace? Is he going to be able to provide some splash and maybe some receiving out of the backfield? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he he's going to be able to do that stuff in year one, but – 
for people expecting this kind of Alvin Kamara, which is who I've seen him most compared to right, right out of the gates. I just don't see that happening at all. And I personally, like I said, I don't mind that the Steelers missed him, so to speak. I don't think they missed anything. I think McFarland fits the system just fine and Claypool's going to be a fine pick and they're going to be happy with that. So I think time will tell that JK Dobbins looked incredible on paper, but was really just, you know, a good pick, not mm-hmm. phenomenal, but it was okay. Yeah. And that's the way I feel about Dobbins tape as well. I think he's a good runner. I think he's definitely a second round talent. Um, I, I wasn't impressed though with his running ability. That didn't really jump off the page for me. What jumped off the page for me on Dobbins film was his receiving. And I think he is an excellent yeah. receiver out of the backfield. I think he's going to give teams a tremendous amount of trouble on third downs if he's coming out in, into the slot area because he's really quick in and out of breaks. He makes strong, powerful cuts, and he's got excellent hands. And then, of course, he's a running back when he gets the ball with some space. So that's where I see his biggest fit being with the Ravens this year because they really didn't need a number one running back. But to get that kind of pass-receiving threat out of the backfield, which they didn't really have, and that's something that really helps out with Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson needs – athletes who can make plays while he's stretching and extending the time of these plays and players like Dobbins in the short area would be able to get open for him to make plays after the catch in space because that's going to be where I think his highest value will be to that team and then speaking as well like you mentioned Hunter about the Chris Rainey's and the Dre Archers that we drafted the when we drafted these speedsters that were sub 4-4 guys at you know 5-8 but their weight was like between 150 and 175. I mean, these were tiny guys. And we're talking about now Dobbins and um, McFarlane, who's both over 200 pounds. That's huge, especially if you're 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, you have that kind of size. You can take a pounding and you can make a pounding. And when I said looking at Dobbins' film, I was like, it's good film. It didn't really jump off the page to me the way that McFarland's film jumps off the page for me. And it's his ability to because usually when you're drafting a speed guy, speed guys are usually get a lot of their yardage outside of the tackles. They, they're the first to the edge and they burn up the field. They're faster than everybody else on the field. You watch their college tape. Most college t- speed guys are going to do that. Dre Archer did that on film. Chris Rainey did that on film. You watch McFarland's runs. He's doing it up the middle. He's going up between the center and the guard making one cut. He's going between the, the guard right. and the tackle making one cut and burning it for 75 yards, 80 yards. I mean, that is off the charts to me. And also, he if, yeah. you, if you look at his uh, film from two years ago, he was actually breaking tackles. And his intermediate runs, they did some, some great film work on him, very extensive film work on him at uh, SteelerDepot.com. And I, I highly recommend checking out the film work. I think it was uh, Dave Bryant did that film work. And he broke down four different segments on... McFarland and it was the first segment was all of his big runs and it was amazing to see that it just wasn't around the end for him ripping off big runs it, most of his big runs were one cuts up the middle it looked like watching Denver running backs back in the 90s with the one cut style mm-hmm. where they could just throw anybody in yeah. there with that one cut style and get big runs uh, and then he did another breakdown of his intermediate runs his e- intermediate runs were like between like 10 to 20 yards and those runs I thought were the most impactful for me to see because that showed a lot of his tackle-breaking ability. He broke a lot of tackles to extend plays to get first downs and and just that would have been normally been like three, four-yard runs. So like that film was really, really impactful to me. They also did a breakdown of his receiving, which he didn't do a lot of receiving in college, but watching his film shows that the potential is there and he probably should have been utilized more because he's a very fluid receiver out of the backfield. Now I, I think Dobbins is a much better, more polished NFL ready receiver out of the backfield. I think he's ready to go week one as a third down back out of the receiver spot. But I think that there's room for McFarland to be able to be that kind of player in the NFL as well out of the backfield. And the last breakdown that Dave did as well was one about his fumbles. He fumbled four times in college 
Uh, he lost one, and funny enough, one of the fumbles actually went into the end zone and was recovered by a teammate for a touchdown. So <laughs> nice. he's, he's good with the football. <laughs> he takes care of the football. And, I, you know, I, I really like McFarlane, but going back to Dobbins, too, it's it's like you're asking me if I, if I want to take a tall – speedy wide receiver with the with our only with our highest draft pick or take a running back that is good but not great I'm going tall receiver every time that's definitely what I thought the Steelers biggest need was so yeah and just just to add to that real quick I think Steelers fans and probably Ravens fans as well and just fans of the NFL who care about that rivalry are going to tie Claypool and Dobbins together throughout their career you know who made the better pick there who who did it better but it's not a comparison worth making. Like we're talking about two completely different positions on the field yeah. and two completely different needs. So, I, I mean, I've seen a ton of people already linking them. Just yeah. caution that. It Hold will, off on that. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it, it, but, but it's a fan link. And the funny part about the fan link, Hunter, is Steeler fans are like, oh, my gosh, we missed Dobbins. We could have had Dobbins. Oh, it, it's like, what, what are we doing? This is the worst. And then – Ravens fans are saying the exact opposite. They're saying, oh, crap, the Steelers got Claypool. We wanted Claypool. What the right. hell? What are you doing? What is... <laughs> right. So it's like it's this yeah, yeah. fan envy over the same pick in the second round for the opposite team. And, you know, we'll continue that a little bit more because my Ravens fans just lost it for us drafting two Maryland players too, picking up McFarland mm, and picking yeah. up Brooks because – they know most of my Maryland, my Ravens friends are Maryland fans and they go to University of Maryland games. They know Brooks. They know McFarland. They've seen him play for the last you know, four years for Brooks and two years for McFarland. And most of my friends are actually more scared of the Brooks pick than the McFarland pick. They like McFarland. They think he's a good player. They think he's going to do well for us. But they're actually scared of Brooks because of how high intensity he is. He's an alpha dog on the defense. Like he leads that defense with that big hitting, and he loves to hit big. And his click and close is a lot faster than his timed four six speed. And you watch him on film, and, and it's just like that's the reason why Ravens fans are afraid to see a talent like that fall to the Steelers. You know, later in the draft, and then pick him. For sure. That I mean, that makes a ton of sense. And I saw a funny tweet regarding the whole Maryland thing because. Uh, Coach Tomlin's son goes to Maryland, of course. Um, somebody tweeted, you know, I hope I hope Tomlin's other son goes to LSU. <laughs> I thought that was funny because <laughs> that is funny. Steelers, yeah, Steelers picking up all these Maryland guys. Like, well, I hope the other one goes to LSU or something. It makes sense. Yeah, and and it does make sense too. Tomlin's son does go to University of Maryland, but I honestly think the Maryland connection was more linked to picking up the quarterback coach in Matt Canada than it is for yeah. his son being there because Canada coached uh, McFarland during his biggest year. That was the year that he blew up two years ago. He was the offensive coordinator, and that was his guy. I mean, he's, he, was the, yep. he was the engine that ran that offense. So that's the biggest reason I think that McFarland's a stealer. And then Brooks, <laughs> obviously, they, they, they got a little bit of attention, and, and um, Canada was there for three of Brooks's four years. So he knows the kind of player that Brooks is as well. So they've got a lot of inside information in the coaching room on those Maryland players to, to bring in the guys that they think are going to help out their team the most, and especially on special teams. Um, one quick yep. thing just last <laughs> as we keep talking that's why i love talking with you hunter because we keep going down rabbit holes <laughs> but the big thing about both of these players special teams potential number one like uh brooks is going to be a special teams player i think he's going to wow on special teams big hitter in the coverage teams and that's something the steelers need losing so many coverage people with chakillo and matakavich and um uh, nicks leaving in free agency that they had a lot of holes to fill there's a hole, and then the other option for McFarland is there's some talk about turning him into a kick returner, and that would further kind of devalue what White brought to the team because White's the speed running back that we had who was our kick returner there at the end of the year and did a great job as a kick returner. But if McFarland can fill yeah. that role, I mean, he's a lock for a spot. Absolutely, and the special teams are so crucial, man. I, rem I remember last year when 
Justin Lane and Benny Snell were the two that immediately leaped to mind. They were, yeah. you know, they were the man in college, especially yes. Benny Snell. He he was Kentucky football. You know, he was Snell, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Snell time, all, all that stuff. Yeah, he was the man there, and he came in, and and they just told him day one, like, hey man, you want to play in the NFL? You got to do special teams. You got to get after it on special teams. And he, to his credit, he embraced that role. I mean, you watch him, check the stats. He was a very solid special teams player. All the coaches complimented him. His running back coach, Eddie Faulkner, said he was very proud of the way that Benny kind of put his ego aside and embraced the special team. So these guys have to do it. You know, you talk about, especially a late round draft pick, you want to make the team, you've got to get dirty on special teams. So I like that that you think Brooks can do that. And I definitely expect the same from him. Yeah, and moving on in the draft now, so we're talked about J.K. Dobbins and Patrick Queen, and now we're going to talk about a third player that 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 TJ and Matt on SteelerNation.com had rated as a first round talent, and that third player is Justin Matabuke out of Texas A&M, the defensive tackle. Just a, a big, big, big man, and they love run defenders, and that fits the bill there. Even though they brought in a lot of free agent talent this year to help out with the defensive line, this is a good depth guy that can grow in their system and has a high, high ceiling. I think you nailed it there at the end. The high ceiling with him is what's undoubtedly appealing for the Ravens because that's this is a gravy pick for them. They yeah. had what four third, third round picks, I think. They knew that they could afford to, you know, take a bit. They those first two picks are going to be good. Yeah, I think barring yeah. something crazy happening, they're good. And they they still needed help against the run, especially. So you load up with a big defensive tackle who also has some potential, some pass rushing in in his bag as well. I mean, that's the kind of pick that could become the game changer for them. I mean, it's, any Steeler fan hears Haloti Nada and knows what that guy did yeah. to the Steelers every time he played. He's just a force. When you have a, a legitimate force, a defensive tackle, yeah. it can change not, not only how the defense performs, but what the offense is even willing to do. Yeah. You know, they'll try to avoid you. They'll, they'll try to game plan around it. So if he can become a game changer like that, they've definitely got a huge steal. But – as a defensive tackle, Steelers fans know this well. Daniel McCullers has been the backup for years now, and they've been trying to bring in somebody who can beat him out for that spot to, to add better quality depth at defensive tackle. Yeah. It's tough in the NFL. It doesn't translate always, and evaluating that talent is very hard. The Steelers obviously hit recently with Hargrave, yeah. but they've had many misses in that time as well, trying, yeah. to, trying to bring him in. So. He may be a first-round talent for the Ravens, and, and he may be rated as such, but you, defensive tackle for me is a position that's very much up in the air. There's a lot of misses at defensive tackle, so it would not surprise me at all if this guy didn't translate. wouldn't surprise me if he translated well either. So this is very much for me a wait and see, whereas I feel Queen and Dobbins are going to do stuff. They'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, Metabuke is a guy that I see as like, eh, I'm going I'm to hold out on that until I see it. Nice. And – now we get to at least to the position that I know a lot about for the NFL draft, and that is wide receiver. They For the second pick in the third round, they took Devin Duvernay. <clears throat> Pardon me. Devin Duvernay from Texas. And Devin is one of those players that he's on the shorter side, the 5'10 range, but he's quick and he's really fast. And a, a lot of his looking at his body type, I mean, yeah, he's a shorter receiver, but he's also very round bodied, very thick bodied. So he's very, very strong. He's very good uh, competing against catches against other defensive backs and corners. And if he's bigger than the defensive back of the corner, look out because he's going to make the catch. But then he also has the long speed and the quick twitch to get open. A lot of his film, when I was watching him, he looked a lot like shades of Mike Wallace. Now, Mike Wallace was strictly a speed guy, strictly could get open down deep. And I, I think, honestly, that's what he looks like right now is he's more of that one-trick pony type guy starting off in the NFL. He's going to be coming in on third downs as the fourth receiver to try to get open deep. And, you know, as far as for being a threat, he was the threat in college. I mean, all of his highlights for most of his touchdowns is him receiving a deep bomb. And the guy can do it. He tracks the ball really well in the air, and he gets separation. And separation is key in the NFL because if you can't separate in college, 
it's really tough to start separating in the pros in, unless it's a foot issue coming in and out of breaks. But for pure speed separation, you either have it or you don't. And this guy does have it. I mean, that's a great start. Uh, for a receiver, what more do you want than just pure speed? That's a great place to start. However, I will definitely handicap this pick with the following message, and that's that the Ravens cannot draft wide receivers. Yes, <laughs> at all. <laughs> and and that's that's the thing yeah. too, because they th- there's that huge run on receivers that happened, and there's all these first second round talents that went off the board like, in a snap of a finger. So then, by the time yeah. they came around to draft, they're picking who we had is like fifth sixth round talent guy in the third so it was a bit of a reach because they knew they had that need at receiver but they're but honestly it's like you got to pick your poison when you're the Ravens it's like do you take that I mean they the first three picks were all high talent guys off their board number one picks you know you can tell they were following their 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 um their draft chart right there on the big board and they went straight in order for BPA best player available but when it hit wide receiver they're like oh crap we didn't get a wide receiver yet yeah. and honestly like the fa- the faucet was off at that point I think all the high-end receivers were off of the board by the beginning of the third round um they're picking there at pick 34 in the comp area of the third round and they I'm oh, sorry 28 right before the comp area of the third round and that's when I mean it, it was dry I mean it, though I mean it's still 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 a deep deep receiver draft the whole way down through and we'll talk about some other deep receivers here and the other teams that drafted in the AFC North a little bit later on but <laughs> but the top talent was gone at that point and for the Ravens that are always looking at a top talent guy you know that's a, that's the tough type of thing and let's go back to that Dre Archer thing that we talked about a little earlier and that's my problem with one of their current receivers who's the cousin of Antonio Brown Hollywood Brown And Hollywood Mm -hmm. Brown is that small bodied receiver. He is that 175 guy out there trying to make plays. And man, can he make plays until he gets hit. Then when he gets hit, now his ankle's a bum. Now he's he's not running as fast anymore. And that happened last year. And, you know, he's a good talent. First couple weeks, nobody could even keep up with him. And then he started getting thumped. Then he started getting hit in the line of scrimmage. And those are the type of receivers that I think break down after time. So that first round talents might end up being a waste of a pick in the future. But this guy, Tyree Phillips, is a big bodied guy. I mean, even though he's 5'10", he's 200 pounds, 208 pounds. He's a stronger bodied guy and more and more durable in case they have issues with some of their other receivers. Sure. And I think you meant Devin Duvernay there. I don't, you said Tyree Phillips, but no, no, you're a, right. You're right. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Devin Duvernay. Yes. <laughs> but, but yeah, on, <laughs> on the Hollywood Brown uh, point, I, I'm right with you with him that he does definitely have the talent. He looks great. It's not encouraging though, that he's already showing these injury concerns that were the primary concern for him coming in. People wondered how he would hold up as a pro. Yeah. And so far he has not exactly passed that test, but for anybody who thought I was just like trying to be funny with the whole Ravens can't draft receivers thing, I highly, <laughs> highly encourage you to go check it out. Like that, that wasn't joking around. They can't. After Hollywood, Hollywood Brown is by far the best one they've drafted of late, and he only yeah. has one year of semi production. Yeah, you yeah. go, you go beyond him, and it it comes to like Tory Smith, I guess. Yes, like I don't yep. even know. That's the next one. You, you have, yeah, you have to go through like. 10 receivers who you don't who you never heard of <laughs> before you get to Tory Smith and a lot yeah, of them being it's high not good yeah a lot of them are high picks too hunter like you're saying first second third rounders a lot of first rounders didn't grade out for them and exactly. most that's why most of their impactful wide receivers over the years have been uh free agents i mean Derek mason coming out through the 2000s that guy was a monster he was a, he was like a heinz ward light to kind of do like everything tough guy and then you got the steve smith jr when he came over to their senior when he came over to yep. the team and was making plays all over the place for them and obviously when they had their last big super bowl run and it was um oh the big bodied receiver that, that used to be the anquan bolden. anquan bolden yep that used to play with the cardinals and I I love mm-hmm. Anquan Bolden, and that was he specifically fit jump ball Joe Flacco's style of play because he was a, he was a chuck and duck kind of quarterback where he kind of throw it up, hope for pass interference, but he was but Anquan Bolden is one of the best combative 
receivers to ever play in the NFL. He just always knew how to box out, use his size, played bigger than he was, and that side-speed ratio, he was just always making those jump ball plays and those combative catches. And that was a huge, huge part of why they won those Super Bowls. But like we're saying, these are their veterans that they bring in. Mike, I mean, uh, look at Brown from uh, two years ago. I forget his first name. Um, that was that was their big receiver that year. And then Mike Wallace the one year. I mean, they're not drafting receiver talent. Whereas, whereas like, we're the opposite. Like, we can't draft defensive backs or cornerback talent. They can't draft wide receiver yeah. talent. So it's kind of a funny uh, juxtaposition there. Absolutely. And I, they keep trying to address it, but until they hit with it, I don't believe in their scouting for receivers. And just as a quick Bolden thing, I just want to add mm-hmm. how it's it's one of the NFL's great injustices that Anquan Bolden was never a Steeler. That is the yeah. best Steelers receiver that yeah. never put on a Steelers jersey. <laughs> I would have loved, loved, loved to have him on the team. And every time he was a free agent, I was hoping against hope that they'd pull him in. But no, they, he just yep. never became a Steeler, unfortunately. Um, moving on and and you mentioned linebackers and this is the other linebacker that the, the Ravens picked up to kind of suit their other need with run defense and Malik Harrison, the linebacker out of Ohio state. Yeah, it's a very, it's very obvious what they did here just to parallel it to the Steelers. So, you know, it makes full sense. If Patrick queen is Devin Bush and they do a lot of the same things, then Malik Harrison is Vince Williams. He's that bigger bodied thumper run stopper. They definitely got their uh, thunder and lightning combo there with those two, whatever you want to call it. It's a very, very clear distinction between how the two play and the skill sets the two bring. So whereas Queen has has those question marks with how will he do against the run, how will he shed blocks, how physical can he be when an offensive lineman gets their hands on him, Mm. Malik Harrison's the guy who can handle all that. So they're for sure going to have packages for obvious passing downs and obvious rundowns, and Harrison and Queen will probably swap out there. Or they'll, they'll form a tandem at some point somehow. They'll get them both on the field at the same time. Hmm. I mean, the way the NFL is changing, I'm not counting that out either. So I like, again, I know it's a broken record with the Ravens picks, hmm. but I like what they did there. It, just, it makes a ton of sense. You know, it was a yep. very, very smart draft. Not only having a ton of picks, but using those picks very well. And even Duvernay, you know, I didn't really talk about him too much. I just talked about how they were not good at drafting receivers, but yep. – when I was doing research for the Steelers expecting them to take a receiver, he was a guy that I tabbed as a potential late round steal. Now I didn't yeah. see him as a third round pick, no, no, no. but yeah. I did. I, yeah. Not at all, but I did. I liked his tape as well. And, and the same as you said, I was very surprised with his ability to break tackles. Yeah. Definitely reminded me of Steve, Steve Smith, just kind of that angry small receiver that just always could wiggle away. Yeah. So he, he, he has some potential, but again, going in the third round, what they did in the third round, rounding it out with that Tyree Phillips, who you mentioned earlier, you know, looks like a decent tackle prospect. Yeah. There's not a whole lot to say about a tackle prospect in the third round, but uh, what they did in the third round with those four picks, the way they spread them out yeah. for needs as well, not yeah. just talented guys, but legit needs on their team, super smart on their part. I mean, there's nothing, this whole draft, there's nothing not to like with what the Ravens did, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, and and I'm with you there, too. And if, if there was ever a draft to have four picks in the third round, this was it. I mean, they, yeah. they should have gotten their receiver earlier, uh, honestly. But everything else that they did, there was a lot of talent at linebacker, a lot of talent on offensive and defensive lines, both in the tackle. I mean, I, I like the the Trey, or the Tyree Phillips uh, uh, pick a, a little bit more because I think he's still talented enough to possibly become a starter here in the league. Um, and But also, I mean, you're still deep at linebacker. You're still deep at receiver. You still have some great, great defenders on the field as well. I mean, I know there's no tight ends in this draft and the running back still, you saw some good running back options in the third round as well. So it was just such a deep draft that for them to have four picks in the third round and to use them that effectively, in my opinion, they, they, they hit it, they hit it out of the park, honestly, Uh, even though the, their wide receiver pick was a reach, it still kind of fits their needs with what they need with a fourth receiver. So, you know, I'm not really going to crap on that pick yet until I see him on the field, but but yeah, it's interesting the way they went. And then in the fourth round, they pick up another highly rated guard that we had highly rated in the top 100 in Ben Bredesen out of Michigan. Well, they just lost one of the best guards 
in the game. You know, he was one of the best of all time, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Marshall Yonda was a force, yeah. and, and you lose him. So you got you to gotta start to replace him. I don't know that you're going to replace him in the fourth round, but certainly stranger things have happened. And in that system, if he fits their system, I think that any offensive player for the Ravens, that's really what you got to think about because they've designed this offense that is a very, very unique offense yeah. in the NFL. They knew yep. Lamar Jackson – has a very particular set of skills and to Harbaugh's credit to that entire coaching staff's credit, they did not try to mold Lamar Jackson into a traditional NFL quarterback. Like so many teams would have tried to do, they would have said, no, 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 you're doing what we do. They said, we're doing what you do. Yeah. And that has made all of the, all the difference for them. So I'm sure, I mean, look, they're not, they're not dumb. No matter what Steelers fans want to think about Ravens, they're they're not dumb. They're they're making smart decisions. I'm sure that all these offensive players that they pick, they feel can fit within that offense. So it's not just about picking talented guys. There's there's talent all through the draft, but what I see them doing is picking guys who are talented and specifically fit their system and their needs, which is probably the most specific set of needs on offense in the NFL. So it's really interesting and it definitely sets up a make or break situation in my book because either they are going to fit it mm-hmm. and it's going to work really well or they're going to be a complete <laughs> not fit. They're they're going to not fit at all and it, and it's going to totally flop. So that remains to be seen. I mean, as good as Lamar Jackson was and has been through his two years in the NFL, that's just two years in the NFL. That Things can change rapidly, especially for a quarterback, especially for a quarterback who relies on his legs as we've seen throughout history. So mm. I don't know yet. I, I'm not ready to say that Lamar can just bounce back and duplicate what he did last year, which was an all time historic season for a quarterback, Yeah, but we'll see. And we'll see what the Ravens got there. And they're certainly at least trying to get him the pieces to continue that. Then the St- Ravens go on to pick and double dip at defensive tackle. Again, they bring in Broderick Washington from Texas tech. Now I don't know him pretty much at all. And I'm not going to pretend that I do. Have you heard anything about him at all? Broderick Washington? No, I really haven't. He wasn't uh, high on my scouting report for the draft. Yeah. Yeah. And I I guess he wasn't even on our nose tackle uh, (laughs) options for what we were looking at for possible late round replacements for nose tackle. But what I do know is James Prochet. Now he looks incredible as a receiver's tape looking at a sixth round receiver's tape you usually see a guy with a lot of holes now there's in some ways I kind of like Prochet's tape more than Duvernay's tape and the Mm. guy was a touchdown machine I mean I'll be he, he did play at Southern Methodist he did play against a little lower competition but He's another one of body wise. He's another one of these shorter five ten, but bigger bodied, over two hundred pound guys like Duvernay, and he plays. He's a, supposed to be a sub four four guy. He looks slower than than Duvernay does on the field. It takes a long time for his speed to ramp up, and he doesn't get that long separation like Duvernay does. But he's really mm-hmm. really strong. He's got great can, hands. He's a great combat catcher. Um, so there's a lot of positives out of this player that I've seen that they might actually find a better receiver later in the draft than all this draft capital they've been using in day one and day two for the past, you know, eight years. Sure. Hey, a sixth round receiver out of a small school can work sometimes I hear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Antonio Brown would agree with you there. Yeah. And, but there's a couple things that I, you know, obviously he's a sixth round pick. So there's a couple things that aren't perfect about James and that's, he has trouble uh, separating his with, with his sub four, four speed against lower competition. Um, So I think that that's going to be difficult for him to be a deep bomb threat. I think Duvernay is much more of a polished deep bomb threat already coming into the league. Um, His quick motion routes when he's coming in and out of breaks I expected him to be a lot quicker, but he seems kind of slow and his hips come around a little slower than what I'd expect out of a smaller guy. Uh, like obviously like AB's tape coming out of college. I mean, there was two things that jumped off the film on AB's tape and that was 
one, he was he couldn't be blocked at the line of scrimmage, and he's one of the fastest in and out of cuts that I'd ever seen on tape, and for him to like last that long yeah. in the draft. But that that was back when people weren't even drop drafting slot receivers until you know five, six, seven round anyway, and they had him projected as a slot receiver, but he became actually our number one and X receiver. So, but back to um, to Prochet here. Um, so his so his quick cuts look slow when he's breaking, and I think it's probably because he's so big bodied that he's got to get that big body around, so he's not as quick as like AB was getting in and out of those breaks. Uh, he also has shorter arms and a shorter height, so it's going to be a lot tougher for him to make those combative catches that he was making against you know lower level college competition as opposed to NFL competition. So it's going to be a transition and maybe something that he can develop to, but there's some items in his tape that I think are are a positive for him to eventually develop into a slotty tough receiver to get those short yardage uh possession uh downs to uh to continue the the drives and they have enough guys on that Ravens roster to already do that to have another weapon is a big bonus for them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely defer to you on the tape because I'd be lying if I said I watched a lot of his tape. But if he lacks the the quick, the sharpness in and out of his routes and that quick twitchiness, I definitely will put a put an asterisk next next to that pick because in the NFL you either have to have the size, and if you don't have the size, you have to have that quick twitchiness in yeah. and out of the routes. We saw it with Deontay Johnson last season, and I'd, I'm a big big fan of receivers who fit that mold. I love yeah. watching them play. And I love increasingly, I think they're becoming more effective in the NFL, that those guys are actually the guys that work better in today's NFL. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, AB a- is the ultimate example of that type of receiver who yeah. just yeah. blossomed. He blossomed, like you said, to just be able to do literally anything. But yeah. that's how, when he when he started, that's very much what he was. Mm-hmm. And Deontay Johnson, will see if he can follow the same path. So if Prochet lacks you know, the quickness that that's for sure going to hold him back. But at the same time, that's something that you can work on. And like you said, there, there are some things there that give hope. He obviously got drafted, so Mm -hmm. they see something in him. So we'll see how that develops for them. It'll be interesting to see which one of those two receivers actually ends up having the better career to me. And that's a great point too, because Deontay Johnson who the Steelers took the year before, his tape is way better than either of those two receivers' tape coming out of college. I mean, Deontay Johnson's biggest thing that I love, he was the best receiver I've ever seen film-wise get off of presses. You cannot press Deontay Johnson at the line of scrimmage. And for it to be Mm -hmm. a smaller, you know, quote-unquote smaller receiver, you know, just under six foot, uh, you know, 5'10 range, um, it's incredible. It's like watching A.B., come off the line of scrimmage on presses and he you got a guy from college doing that and he was coming from a, a bigger college not like a smaller college so that was number one about his tape and number two about Deontay Johnson's tape was his quickness in and out of, out of breaks and his ability to utilize his quickness and his body feints to open up space for receptions which is what Antonio Brown did so yep and I I'm not going to say that I'm some high level scout or anything like that, but specifically on Deontay Johnson, I just want to say when I was covering training camp last year, rookie OTAs, Mm -hmm. when a guy has what we're talking about, you see it. I mean, instantly when you see it in person, it is so obvious. The first time I watched Deontay Johnson, I just thought to myself, that's special. I don't know if he's going to be a special receiver, but the way he moves is special. He just moves differently than other guys. When you see him, especially in person, I have, I got a video from training camp. I'll send it to you when we get off the phone and maybe you can post it on social or something. But his, his feet, they're just running short little red zone, little basically warm up routes, you know, no coverage at all. It's just throwing the football, catching a touchdown, running little routes here and there. Deontay's feet literally glide across the turf. I mean, there's like a period of time where neither foot is on the ground and it just looks like he's hovering like a forward moonwalk. Yeah. Like the way this yeah. guy's the way the way this guy's feet move is completely unlike any receiver I've ever seen close up in person aside yep. from yeah. AB, who obviously, like we said, AB is AB. He's yes. in a different class. And I'm, not, I'm not remotely saying that Deontay Johnson is going to become. AB because that's unfair to the young man, but I think mm. he's going to be a very successful wide receiver. And I think this, this thing, this twitchiness, this footwork that we're talking about, I yeah. promise when you see it, you'll recognize it. Yes. 
Yeah, you do. And that's the perfect point. Uh, and that's the reason why he led the Steelers in receptions last year, too. So big kudos to a, a rookie that was able to do that. And it's been a long time since we've had a rookie receiver lead us in receptions. <laughs> I think we might have to go back to Lewis Lips for that. <laughs> but um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think that was it. Or uh, Who was in the late 90s? Oh, um, oh, I can't remember his name now. You got me. Troy Edwards, <laughs> is that his name? Anyway. Yeah, Troy Edwards <laughs> might have been the leading receiver on that team that when we first got him. Yeah, because we tried to try to thrust him in the role early. You're right. Um, so, yeah, yeah. so then now moving to their last pick for the Ravens is actually a guy I had targeted as a late-round possible pickup for the Steelers looking for a safety, and that's Geno Stone out of Iowa. The guy is an absolute ball hawk, and for yeah. them to find that kind of player that late in the draft – is you know frankly scary from a Steeler perspective to but it was smart drafting on their point and you you know watching that draft by the Ravens you think Ozzie Newsom is still their GM honestly it's like the blue, <laughs> the, the blueprint is there so they are drafting in a system that Ozzie Newsom created and like I'm saying when there's when they're still hitting players in the sixth and seventh rounds that we can talk about extensively longer than the highlights they're going to show even on these. <laughs> these freaking draft shows which they barely show any highlights for anybody picked in the sixth and seventh. I mean, that speaks a lot to the talent evaluation on the Ravens and their ability to uh, prioritize who and when to pick on their big board for best player uh, available and to bring people in that they know that it can immediately help them with depth and help them on special teams. Absolutely. Geno Stone was a guy who was on, like you said, the Steelers board, not just because of his play, but because he's a local kid. He went to Newcastle High School right yeah. here, right outside the city. Yep. So he, he's a guy who had these ties to the city. And a lot of people thought it would be kind of a homecoming for him. He did make a lot of sense for the Steelers. And, and you touched on exactly what this guy brings is that ball hawking ability. He is one of the most NFL ready players that I saw in this draft in terms of his mind, his, yeah. his football IQ, his mental game is extremely strong. He yeah. understands the game of football flat out. You see it with his in- instincts. The problem with Geno Stone, you say, you say all that and you think, well, why did he go in the seventh round then? Yeah. The problem is that he lacks almost every necessary physical trait. I mean, he does mm-hmm. not test well in any speed size anything like that agility he just doesn't have it he's not a physical specimen that you expect from an nfl safety so he's going to be the ultimate example in how much can you make up for i mean he's got he he, even his build is weird when you see him he's like short and stocky he almost looks more like a running back or what you would expect of a running back not a safety so it's very interesting he has serious physical limitations in my eyes. I think he ran a four, six, five, maybe. I mean, we're talking pretty slow for a safety. That can be a problem for a safety. Um, Mm -hmm. He's got small, short arms. He's stumpy. He's not very rangy, but man, does he make up for a lot of that with his instincts and his football IQ. And this makes me think of something super interesting that Cam Kelly, I don't, Steelers fans might remember him from last year. Obviously he kind of impressed throughout Cam and then ended up making the 53-man roster. But I remember talking to Cam Kelly whenever he was still in that camp battle for that final backup safety position. And we were just talking about his speed. And he said something super interesting in that if you time at a 4-4, but you don't have the football instincts and it takes you that split second to recognize the play, yeah. well, your 4-3 four, three, four, just became a 4-6 because you didn't react right away. Exactly. So – if you have the reaction time, you can definitely make up for that lack of pure speed simply by moving earlier. It makes perfect sense. If you don't need to think about it and you just react and you're gone, then you're going to make up for that lack of speed. Now, of course, at safety, especially as kind of the last line of defense, that can still have limitations. If you get a pure burner out there, you're just flat out not going to catch him. So there are limitations to that. Mm. But Geno Stone having the IQ and having the mental game that he has what a great place to start. Honestly, I could see this guy having a good NFL career just based on that. And as we talked about several times on special teams, he can obviously do that. You don't need to be a pure burner on special teams by any means. And his IQ will help him there. Solid tackling. Like you said, a nose for the ball. Hmm. I, I, it feels weird just praising the Ravens up and down. I know, right? Like this, but man, you, <laughs> you, you look, <laughs> you look at that draft top to bottom and what, there's not really a miss. The Duvernay pick to me is super early, but 
Yeah. If he does what if he does what the tape shows on the good side, again, you can watch highlights all day and highlights can make anybody look I could go in my backyard and put together a highlight tape and be like, Man, you guys need to draft me. Look yeah. at this. <laughs> you could you could <laughs> right. You could put together highlights, but if he if he flashes the upside and he kind of settles in and develops into that, it's not gonna look like a reach at all. There's a lot to like there. So if he if he optimizes his talent, we're not even gonna be looking at that as a reach either. So the Ravens, good place for us to start in this discussion for me because that was the best draft in the AFC North in my eyes. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you exactly who I think he looks like and who he reminds me of as an NFL talent, and that's Bob Sanders. Another one of those short Ooh. safeties, big-bodied guy all over the place because he could read and recognize, click and close. He he reminds me of Bob Sanders watching his film, like albeit being in college, and we have to see if that can translate on the other level. But, I mean, we're talking about a safety that was a defensive player of the year. And, unfortunately, because of because of his size, he had a lot of injury issues. So he wasn't able to maintain that high, high level over more than, like, four years, four or five years. But, but when he was on, I mean, Bob Sanders was one of the, one of the neatest, most fun, most smartest safeties that I've ever watched play. He was absolutely one of the best. I mean, there was a period of time where he where he was just constantly in that discussion with the other greats. So, you know, it was Paul Amalu, Reed, Sean Taylor, and Bob Sanders that yeah. everybody thought were the best safeties. So he he was right in there. So absolutely, that's that's a really good comparison. No pressure, Geno Stone. You just you just need to be Bob Sanders, <laughs> right? <laughs> And we're going to stop the conversation right there. Obviously, when Hunter and I get together, you can't stop us from talking. So, Steeler fans, make sure you check out Hunter Homestack on social media at Hunter A. Homestack. That's at H-U-N-T-E-R-A-H-O-M-I-S-T-E-K. Or read his articles to get to know him a little bit better at www.dkpittsburghsports.com. Come on over to SteelerNation.com for some of the best Steeler information and football forum on the internet. You can tweet us at SteelerNation, Instagram us at SteelerNation.com, and follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at SNStriker, Strikers spelled with a Y. Thanks for joining us for the SteelerNation.com podcast. We will be back for part two tomorrow to finish off the AFC North. Till then, I'm your host, G. Stryker, with Hunter Homestack, rooting along with you, as always. Go Steelers!